uh, uh, questions that they don't really expect you to answer them. Uh, Paul kind of does that in verse 1, even though it's not a question. He says, if you then be risen with Christ, and he's using the word if, but he's really saying since, because he, you know, the understanding is, yes, these people, he's writing to the church at Colossae, he says, you know, it, you guys are saved, you claim to be saved, so if that's true, uh, here's what we're going to do. So he tells them two things here. He says, you need to seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. I, I'm thankful, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new what? Creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. And all of us, I think, that have been saved can relate to this, that the day we got saved, something changed. Uh, sometimes it changes really fast and very sudden. Sometimes it's a rather small change, but a growing change. Uh, years ago, I was able to sit in the living room of a fellow uh, by the name of Brian Maloney, and uh, lead him to the Lord Jesus Christ. It took about an hour and a half. The fellow, 40-some years, 42, 43 years old, and uh, had been raised in a church. His parents had been deaf, and so he was raised in a deaf church. But being a hearing child, he got, you know how you are, you're distracted, and you're a young person, you're, your brain and mind wander. He said, I never really paid attention to what was going on in church. He knew the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew about him coming to this earth. He knew about him dying on the cross. And I sat in his living room, and after going through a lot of scriptures and showing him some things, and we got to the part where I was telling him that the reason that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross was for payment for his sin. His eyes got big. i never forget it. And he said, so that's why he came. He said, I'm 40-some years old. I never understood why the Lord Jesus Christ had to come to this earth and die on a cross. I knew he was God's son, and I knew he came to earth, and I knew he died, and that he rose again. But he said, I never understood why. And after realizing why, it was so wonderful. Boy, he got excited, and he bowed his head and trusted Christ as his Savior that night. And uh, he owned his own business, a roofing business down floor. He still does. And uh, he was uh, came started coming to church. And he's one of those fellows that when he got saved, he got really saved. You know, he got, got in church. And, I mean, he just couldn't eat up enough of it. He was there all the time and enjoying it, and uh, he came into church one day, and it was about two months after he got saved, and uh, he came up to me, he said, Pastor, he said, the strangest thing happened, he said, I hit my thumb working this week, and he said, I hit it real hard, and he had it all bandaged up, and he had really torn it up on the end of his thumb, and uh, he said, I got, got done bandaging it up and getting all the first aid done on it, he said, all these men looked over at me that worked with me, and they were looking at me kind of funny, and I was like, what? And they said, why aren't you cussing? He, they said, usually you'd have been cussing and throwing your hammer off the roof and everything else. He said, Pastor, I never even dawned on me. He said, but something has changed. Isn't it good when, when God saves us, something changes? And Paul's referring to these folks. He says, if you then be risen with Christ, there's something that ought to change. He says, seek those things which are above. Notice he says in verse number 1, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. You know, there was a time where our old flesh nature reigned and ruled in our, in our bodies. And the flesh nature loves nothing more than to feed its appetite on the things of this world. And by the way, that, that flesh nature is still there. It ought to be crucified and ought to be crucified on a regular basis uh, we ought to be uh, mortifying the deeds of the body, the Bible says. And we ought not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies any longer. But we're going to put up with it till we go to heaven one day. 
I'm thankful we don't have to battle this for eternity, aren't you? We get to heaven, we don't have to fight this whole thing of sin anymore. And uh, I'm excited about that. But uh, there's something new. When we get saved, there ought to be something that changes. Paul is challenging the church here. He said, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of the Father. Set your affection on things above. By the way, he doesn't say affections, plural. He says your main affection, your, the one affection of your life, the, the driving force, if you will. Set your affection on things above, not on things there. there. There was a time when I used to think the things of this world were pretty exciting. Now I look at them and I think, man, what a waste. And then I look at the things of the Lord. I say, boy, what a joy. What a challenge. And then Paul gives a bunch of different things here. We're going to look at them. And we've tried to make these afternoon uh, messages, things that you can kind of sink your teeth into, something that's practical, something you can grab a hold of and put into practice today in your life. So how do we go about seeking those things which are above? Uh, it's one thing for us to know what to do. It's another thing for us to know how to do them. And so if we're going to seek those things which are above, if we're going to set our affection on things above, how are we going to accomplish that? Well, Paul gives us some things that will help us in this. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 5. He starts off with this. Oh, let's back up verse number 4 for a minute. He says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. I'm glad that Christ is our life, aren't you? I'm glad he's the one that we live for now. He says this, Mortify therefore the members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. These are pretty mean-sounding things, sinful-sounding things. And what Paul is saying here is mortify them. Uh, learn to hate them. Get to the place where uh, you, don't, you don't like them anymore. I was talking to somebody this week, and uh, uh, they were sharing with me some problems that, uh, that they were having in their life and how that somebody came to them and tried to criticize them for their problems when they had bigger problems in their own life. And I told them this. I said, you know, it's funny because as people, as humans, we typically think that the sins and the faults of others are the biggest faults and sins there are. Uh, they're never our faults. You know, ours are, ours are the small ones, right? Uh, at least we think that. We look that way. Our sins are the small ones. Everybody else's are big. And, and But the truth is, sin is sin. And one of the problems that I think our churches in the day that we live are facing is that sin has lost its sinfulness. We've learned to kind of condone that sin, to try to justify it, uh, even to encourage it. I, I was uh, I, I read a, a post that somebody placed. Uh, this has been a couple of years ago now, and uh, a person, a particular person who uh, was saved and, and uh, claimed to love the Lord and was uh, doing right, he had gone away from the Lord and done some things. And uh, a couple folks tried to come to him and help help this person back out of that, and say, "Boy, we need you. You need to get back right with the Lord, and and we're praying for you. We want to be a help to you." But somebody, and believe it or not, it was another Christian, said, "Well, I know you're living this way, but as long as you're happy." Can I tell you this? That's the philosophy of a lot of Christians today. It may not be biblical, it may not be scriptural, but as long as you're happy, that's all that matters. No, my friend, we need to learn that sin is still sin. And when it comes to the things of sin, we need to learn to mortify them. Job, it's interesting to me that when God was bragging on Job to Satan, He said, He is one that is an upright man, one that hateth and eschewth, is the word that is used, evil. He doesn't like evil. 
Uh, one of the great uh, uh, blessings of the church at Ephesus was the fact in the book of Revelation, we just studied it the other night in chapter number 2, it talks about the fact that they could not stand them which were evil. They, 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 they did not tolerate wickedness in their church. And can I tell you this, that one of the ways that we get to set our affection on things above is we start looking at the things that are evil, and we begin to mortify those deeds. We begin to skew those things. We look at them and say, boy, those are things that I don't want to have any part of in my life. I'm not going to nurture them along. I'm not going to, I'm not going to dabble in them and just, uh, you know, it'll be okay to have a little bit of this. No, no, no. Those things are things that I don't want to have any part of anymore. I, I want to mortify them. I want to be dead to them. I want to make sure that they have no part in my life again. And that's one of the ways that we begin to set our affection on the things of the Lord. He says, first of all, mortify therefore the members which are upon the earth. He talks about them specifically, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness. Notice this, he says, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God uh, cometh on the children of disobedience. Now, the second thing he says that we can do in order to set our affection on the things of the Lord is found in verse number 8. He says, but now you also put off all these. Anger, that's a tough one, isn't it? That's one of those ones that we don't like to talk about much because we have that problem. Oh, that, that, that stone hit me. Uh, put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. So there's some other things that we're to put off, aren't we? If we're going to set our affection on things above, we've got to take the things of the flesh and we've got to mortify them. We've got to put them aside. And it's got to be something we make a conscious effort to do. It's not one of those things that's just going to happen by osmosis. We've got to be like Daniel and purpose in our hearts not to be defiled with these things. Uh, we need to get mad at the devil over them. Uh, we need to grit our teeth and say, not me, not this. This isn't going to have reigning control in my body, in my life anymore. I'm getting rid of this stuff. And that's how we begin to set our affection on things above. You think back to the time that you first started dating. And the one that was the one for you. The one you were going to ask to marry you. You could not come to them and give your affection to them without causing a separation from others. What you were saying to them when you began to date them and love them more and more each and every day was, not only am I going to love you, but I'm not going to love all of these others. I'm not going to give myself to them. I'm giving myself only to you. And can I tell you this, that when it comes to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and our walk with Him, the more that we set our affection on Him, the less we're going to have our affection on the world. By the way, that also works in reciprocal. The more that we can mortify the deeds of this life, the old nature and the old flesh, the better we will be in a position to have our affection on the things that are above. The love for Him. So we find there that we're not to uh, lie. We're to put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications. That's a hard list to follow. Can I tell you this? All of this is nothing that's new to us. Uh, did I say anything in there from Scripture that was brand new to any of us? We never heard that before. I don't. That's nothing new, is it? And really, it's a pretty simple concept, isn't it? But oh, how difficult it is to practice. You ever notice that? Some of the simplest things in Scripture are so difficult to do. Because that old flesh nature likes to rear its head up. It, it doesn't like giving up its control that it used to have on us. 
Notice what else he says here in verse number 12. He says, put on, therefore. So now we get to do some things. Instead of putting some things off, we get to put on some things. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Boy, I'll tell you what, we could use a healthy dose of that in today's church, couldn't we? Kindness, forbearing, long-suffering, mercy, kindness. You know, the Bible talks about this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness is one of them. Years ago, I was preaching a series of messages on the fruit of the Spirit. We got to the topic of gentleness. The title of the message was, Fragile, Handle with Care. The truth is, people are fragile. Even God's people are fragile. And people get hurt very easily, very carefully. And if we're not careful, we're going to end up hurting somebody. There ought to be some putting on of some things here. Verse number 12, he talks about this. Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness. By the way, you know, this is probably one of the most neglected things in the Christian's life is humbleness. About the time we get a grasp on humility, we get proud of it. And, boy, I'll tell you, it is hard, isn't it? Um, probably one of the greatest downfalls of every Christian is the fact that we have pride in our lives. Wouldn't it be a, an amazing thing if every Christian could get to a spirit of humility and meekness and be able to serve God and to serve others as they serve God? I think it would make a huge difference in our churches, wouldn't it? I think it would make a huge difference in our world. If God's people would learn this spirit of humility and meekness. Notice he says this in verse number 13. Here's another one that's very difficult. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. I was listening. Just the other day I heard somebody was talking about this. Well, I can forgive them, but I'll never forget. Can I tell you this? If you'll never forget, then you really have never forgotten, forgiven. If that's something that you're always going to call back to memory on purpose, you're always going to hold it then you've not really forgiven someone. And by the way, I, I've heard some people say this before, and I want to just try to be a help to you on this area of forgiveness, and this isn't the whole message today. But I've heard some people say, well, they never came and apologized to me. Do you know that the Bible, when it talks about forgiveness, never one time says that the person has to apologize to you? The responsibility to forgive is placed upon the person who was offended. On the other side, the person that is the offender... God does tell us if we know that a brother has a fault against us, we're to go to him and make it right, to leave our gift at the altar and go and make it right first. And as the person that did the offending, we ought be willing to go and make that right. But do you know on the side of the person being offended, our forgiveness is not conditional upon them asking for forgiveness. Our forgiveness is to be given the way that Christ gave his forgiveness. Christ gave us his forgiveness, didn't he? Even when we were yet sinners, the Bible says He died for us. What a thought. He says in verse number 13, How do we set our affection on things above? Well, we need to learn to forgive one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Number verse, verse number 14, Above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. You know what charity is? <laughs> it's a little bit more than just love. It's love in action. It's, uh, it gives the idea, uh, the mindset. If you remember the story of the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, Good Samaritan, the man that was beaten and left half dead, there was a priest that came and walked by and, and passed by on the other side. 
Then the Levite comes along, and the Bible says he looked upon him, and then he passed by on the other side. But at least he looked upon him. He did a little bit more than the priest did. There was some area of concern for the man. But then comes the Samaritan. The Samaritan comes along and sees him. He sees this man that's laying there half dead, and the Bible says he was moved with compassion. There's a difference between having concern for someone and being moved with compassion for someone. And it's the difference between love and charity. Charity is love that is moved to action. Something that we end up doing because we love someone. How do we set our affection on things above? The Bible tells us in verse number 14 that we're to put on charity. Love that is moved to action, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which ye are called in one body and be thankful. Now notice verse number 8. How do we set our affection on things above? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. You know, one thing I have found is the more that I study Scripture, the more that I read Scripture, the more I love the Lord Jesus Christ, the more my affection is set on things above. Let the Word of Christ not only be in us, but the Bible says that let it dwell in us. Not just to have a knowledge of it, but to be able to practice it and do it. Let it dwell in us richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. In verses 18 through 20, we find that we are to submit ourselves one to another. Husbands are to submit themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead their families as they follow Christ. They're to love their wives and they're to rear their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Wives are to submit to their own husbands as it is fit, uh, as it is in the Lord. And children are to obey their parents, for this is well-pleasing, the Bible says, to the Lord. So husbands, you submit to the Lord as the head of your home and you follow Him as you lead your family. Wives, you submit to your husbands as unto the Lord because He is following the Lord. Children, you're to uh, obey your parents and follow your parents as unto the Lord. We submit these things one to another, and that's one of the ways that we set our affection on things above, to seek those things which are above, to make the effort to go about and be something different than we used to be, mortifying the old flesh. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 23. The Bible says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So everything that we do, we're to do it heartily as unto the Lord. When we uh, labor, when we work, when we serve, we don't do it so that we get men's approval. We do it as we're seeking God's approval. We do it heartily. Verse number 25, the Bible, or, uh, sorry, verse number, uh, yeah, verse number 25. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Can I say this? We need to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and have no respect of persons. If ye then be risen with Christ, these are the things that we are to seek after. These are the things that we are to emulate our life after. There are some things we are to put off, and there are some things we are to put on. It is the way that we set our affections, the way that outwardly we express where our heart is. You know, the Bible says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It says, keep the, Proverbs says, keep the heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If we're going to set our affection on things above, we need to learn to seek the things that are pleasing to God. We need to learn to shun and to mortify the things that are displeasing to God. As we go through our life day by day, every day, when we wake up, there's a battle to be fought. (coughs) 
whether we signed up for it or not, whether we wanted to or not, the battle began the day we got saved. And the battle is this, and it's always this. It's a one single battle <coughs> that if we can ever gain victory over it, it is the secret to the victorious Christian life. And the battle is simply this. My will or God's will. I hate to oversimplify the Christian life, but that's really all it comes down to. Am I going to have my way, the way of the flesh, the way of my old nature, or am I going to follow the will of God? If He tells me that there are some things that I ought not have in my life, the deeds of the flesh, that I'm to mortify those things, then I need to get rid of them. They need to be out of my life. If there are some things that He tells me I need to put on, then I need to seek for those things. I need to work and strive for those things. But it's going to come down to, is it my will or is it God's will? Every moment of every day, that's the battle we fight. We get up in the morning. The decision has to be battled and fought again. Paul spoke about this. He said the flesh is willing, or the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He said there are some things that I know I ought to do that I don't do. He said there are some things I know I shouldn't do that I do. He said the flesh is just weak. He says I have to bring my body into captivity every single day. So when Paul comes to the church at Colossae and says, seek those things which are above, if you're risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, he tells us then that there's a battle to be fought. Some things that need to be put off and some things that need to be put on. And by the way, Paul doesn't exhaust the list here, does he? He gives us a great outline. I think, I think there's a lot to be learned from this chapter. Things that certainly we can emulate and pattern our lives after. But when we come and study Scripture in our time of Bible reading and time of Bible study, this, this ought to always be in the back of our minds. Is there something here that I am reading that tells me what pleases God or what displeases God? And if there is, then I either need to get it out of my life or I need to bring it into my life. That's called growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a battle that we, I wish, and I'm sure you all do too, I wish it was a battle we could fight one time and win and not have to worry about it anymore. But you know, this is something that every single day you and I are going to have to face. Every single day. So let's take some time to read Scripture, understand it, know these things, things that we are to put off and things that we are to put on. And then let's take heed to them, shall we? I'd like to do something this afternoon for just a few moments. We're done a minute or two early here. But I'd like to take a few moments to pray for our upcoming election and our, our nation. And we don't have to be long. Uh, I want to see if uh, maybe Brother Wayne, if you wouldn't mind opening us in prayer. And then what I'd like to ask you to do, uh, some of you men, if you'd like to, if you feel led of the Lord to pray after him, uh, then just jump on in there and pray for a few moments. And when it seems like folks are done praying, then I'll close in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed this afternoon. Brother Wayne, go ahead.